How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back to the show, and today we're going to be talking about investing in one particular type of assets in real estate. As you guys know, I love to talk about real estate uh, investment, financial planning, and insurances. And today we're going to focus on one of them, and that one is investing in pre-construction real estate and what it could do for you in your overall asset portfolio. This time around, like last time, I'm going to have my good friend Dmitry Ranev being the interviewer and I will be the guest uh, being interviewed. So Dmitry will be driving the bus like he did last time. We're going to try to talk about the basics of pre-construction investing, uh, but also we may dive into a little bit of more sophisticated nuts and bolts of the investment itself. Now, this is only one episode, and to truly understand this, I think there are lots of books that are good for this, but there are also lots of good podcasts out there that talks about investing in pre-construction real estate. So if this is something that interests you, this could be a just a jumping platform uh, as a stepping stone to other podcasts that dwells into this topic as well. So I hope that uh, you enjoy the discussion here and that it piques your curiosity. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Physician Farm Podcast. I have a very special guest today, Buket Tran, uh, who is, uh, I keep calling him the Renaissance man because he knows a lot of things. And he has been a great friend and a great teacher, and I've learned so many things from him. But today, we'll talk about real estate. And one of the reasons I want to talk about real estate is it's a way to diversify your investments. Um, You know, we all know about stocks and bonds. We all know about REITs because there's so much education about them out there um, for many different reasons. But let's talk about real estate because we, we sort of know about rentals. I think that makes sense. Most doctors know those exist. We may know about things like, uh, you know, flipping houses from watching the Life Network or whatever, whatever the network is that has all those those crazy flip, flipping houses shows. But there's more than just that. And it's actually simpler than just that. There's things that are a bit easier, more accessible for the first time real estate investor. And one of those simple things that we want to talk about today is pre-constructions. So Vu, maybe we can start with the definition of what a pre-construction is, and then we'll take it from there. Well, you know what? Thank you, Dimitri, for having me, for having me again on your on your podcast. It's funny you call me the Renaissance man, but the, the reason why you invite me back is because I've made all the errors and all the mistakes possible, and uh, I'm here to talk about my mistakes, really. So <laughs> thank you for having me on your show. Um, so pre-construction, what exactly it is? Um, so it's, it's you know what? It's buying a unit, buying a real estate, buying, and most of the time it is um, a, a condo unit. Sometimes it could be a townhouse and sometimes it could be a house too. But pre-construction means that you buy 
the real estate based on what is offered in a drawing, uh, in a projection. And it looks, by the time it's built, it would look like this. And you look at the floor plan and you look at the condo and you look at the location and you say, yeah, that would be nice. I'm going to own this condo unit. I'm going to own this townhouse. I'm going to own this house, which is in you know the center of Toronto, near the subway, and this is how much it would cost me to purchase it now. But it will not be built until two, three, four, six years down the road. And so I'm buying it really, really, really at the beginning of this property's lifespan, right? And so I'm buying it at a very, very cheap, lowest level that you can find for uh, from, the, from the real estate perspective. Because we're all used to buying a house that's already built. You walk into the house, you walk through the door, you look at the walls, you look at the kitchen, you look at the floor, but the house is already there. You already, it's already built and you're buying either firsthand or you're buying secondhand. That's typically what most people do. It's already constructed. So a pre-constructed, a pre-construction means that you're buying it before that happens. And you're buying it before that happens because it's when the prices is at the lowest for that particular unit. And I'm, I'm curious. This is probably a hard question to answer, but what's the rebate that you're probably getting off buying it early? It's like 20. I know that's a very hard question. I'm just curious. Are you expecting 10%, 20? It depends on the market. Oh. Yeah. So it's not really a thing as a rebate as you're, you're not paying the baked in appreciation of the unit. So for example, if I were to walk down a street right now and say, I want to buy this house and this house is already 10 years old, let's say, right? Right. Well, in the 10 years, imagine the house has gone up 7% year after year after year for 10 years. So by the time 10 years later, I'm paying for a house that is worth minimal 70% more expensive than when it was built, mm -hmm. let alone the compounding effect of the 7%. So it's more like 90%, right? So if I'm buying a house that's 10 years older, I bought the house that is 90% more expensive than when it was pre-built. So if I'm buying a pre-construction, it means that, well, let's, let's do very simple math construction here. I'm buying a, a brand new pre-condo unit, and let's just say it's worth a million dollars. Okay, that's right. what I'm buying on paper. It's worth a million dollars, but it won't be built till six years from now. So, and I'm expecting the Toronto, okay, I'm just going to talk about Toronto appreciation is about 7%. So it won't be built till six years later. So, which is 7% times six years, we're talking about 42 in simple, in simple interest. But if I compounded that, I'd probably be more like 50 or 60%. So if I'm buying the unit right now at a million dollars, by the time it's built six years from now, my unit, my condo is now worth 1.6 million. And so it's not like it's not like I'm buying a discount. It's more like I'm banking on the appreciation. And so if I'm buying right now at a million and six years later when I actually have it in possession, well, I could either rent it out and get a, a rental income, or I could say, you know what, I'm done holding this asset. I want to sell it. And now the market is worth 1.6 million. I just made 600,000 right? 
on on something that it wasn't even there to begin with. It was just a piece of paper. And so you have to look at it that way as a appreciation asset, as opposed to an asset that already exists and you're buying a discount. So, so I, I always think about analogies to stocks and bonds. So it's almost like you have an asset that's producing a price appreciation, like a stock that you can sell after that many years when it's when it's done, when it's built. My question to you is then, so how does it work? How does let's go to the brass tactics because we talked about simplifying things like simple, simple things for real estate because real estate can be quite intimidating. I mean, people know that. Um, so, do you, so you get a mortgage? How does it work? How would you go about, to, for example, buying a million dollar pre-constructed? What's the, what's the you know practical way to do that? So let me maybe backtrack a little bit. Sure. And and just uh, because at the beginning when we began this podcast, just there are many ways to invest in real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about we didn't talk about REIT. So the most passive way to invest in real estate is buy a REIT fund, right? Yes. I buy the fund someone else builds, and I just I just participate in the fund. So that's the most act. That's the most passive way of of investing. And then this, the second most passive way would be this pre-construction thing. After this pre-construction, there's the actual unit that's already built. I'm buying it constructed. And then after that, well, I'm going to buy a really, really old dilapidated unit and I'm going to refinance it and I'm going to renovate it and then I'm going to increase the value of that unit and then I'm going to make money by selling it off again. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the really, really, really active is I bought a piece of land and now I decide to build on it. Right. Um, as as busy physicians, I don't suggest we buy raw land and build on it. So as busy physicians, I would say start with the REIT, understand real estate. And then if we we all purchase some some home already most of us because we have a primary residence so so we already done that so now in thinking about investment real estate pre con is probably as passive as one can get in in terms of owning actually brick and mortar and land and in a piece of sand okay so now to come back to the question do i need a mortgage so imagine that I'm buying a primary residence. Again, the same million dollar, okay? But in a primary residence, I have to come up with 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever it is. So if it's a million dollars, I have to pay for, I have to come up with 200,000 right off the bat. So I wanna buy this house down the street. It's worth a million. I have to save up 200,000 to put the deposit. And then I go to the bank and get a mortgage loan for 800, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, that's the mortgage for the primary residence. How does it work for pre-con? Very, very similar. But because the, the unit is not built yet, I got time, right? So most pre-con and most bank will give you 80% of the loan. That means that you have to come up with the other 20%. So let's use that same $1 million house as an example, or $1 million for that unit. So I'm buying unit A, on street B and I'm buying it today, but it won't be built till six years from now. And so it's a million, it's the same million. I know that the bank want me to put 
uh, 20% down, which is 200 grand. But remember, the unit's not built yet. It's going to be built in six years. So what the bank want us to do and what the developer will say is say, okay, the developer will say, Vu, you can buy this unit. You have to put 20%. But since it's not ready, it's not here, you've got time to pay me this 20% and you're going to do it over two years. The building will not be built until six years, but the deposit is done over two years. So it's going to be a structured deposit. So imagine 200,000, right? I have to come up with 200,000, but it's done over two years. So they'll say, and it just is just an example. It doesn't always happen this way. They'll say, okay, I want you to give me four payments, right? So four payments over two years would be each payment is 50,000. So at time of signing, I signed with developer A, I signed a contract, say, I want to buy it. So the developer says, okay, well, give me your first 5%. So the first 5% is 50,000. The moment I sign on that agreement, that dotted, dotted line, I have to give them 50,000. And then typically three months later, they'll say, well, Vu, you have to put more deposit. Typically it's three months later. So three months later, I have to put another 5%. So which is another 50,000. And then, and then a year later, so uh, 365 days later, they'll say, well, Vu, you have to put the other 5%. So now I'm putting another 50,000. And then they'll say, well, in two years, which is 760 something days later, you now owe me the other 5%. So within two years, I have put down 200,000. And, and that 200,000 sits in their bank account for them to start building and buying material and binding the wood and, and buying the cement and all that and start building. So they build and they, and remember they sometimes they don't build immediately because they, it takes them two years to do this, but they have to get the zoning. They have to apply for licenses. They have to do their marketing. They have to get the financial final uh, financial arrangement with banks and mezzanine lenders and all that. And then at year three, they start building, right? So at year three, they start building. And by year six, it's built. Now, when it's built, you get to move in and they call that period the interim closing period. So the unit is ready. Vuketran, you can come in, you can live in it, but it's called the interim closing unit. It's not the final closing. So technically speaking, you still don't own it. Technically speaking, the developer owns it. And so because the developer owns it, but you can use the unit, we're going to rent it to you. Okay, so during the interim period, interim closing period, the developer, quote unquote, loans it back to you. So you have to pay that monthly fee until they close. So what does final closing mean? So Imagine a building that has 40 stories, 40, 40 levels, and I bought it at level number eight. Well, I'm, all, I'm for sure going to move in on the eighth floor before the guy on the 40th floor, right? Because it hasn't been built yet. Right. So I'm going to move in on the eighth floor while I'm already in there. Four, uh, 420, 25, 30, 35, 40 gets built. Right. And typically it takes another six months to maybe 12 months, but typically we're talking about six months. So so you move in into that unit during that interim closing, you pay for about six months of rent. And then when that happens, six months later, when the entire building is built, 
all the electricals done, the elevators working, all the paint is on, and then they go to the municipality. So let's say Toronto or Calgary or Edmonton, they go to the municipality and say, we have finished building the building. We now give the building to the property manager. It's complete. And that's when the developer walks away. And now it's being managed by property management. And at that point, that's when that's the final closing. And it's at final closing that the bank comes in, right? The bank, my bank who says, remember, he promised to loan me 800 grand. Remember that? So the bank comes in and say, okay, we have final closing. Vu, the 800 grand I'm going to give to the developer. You already gave him the 200 grand. Remember? Yeah, I already gave them 200 grand. The bank gives him the 800 grand. And now I get the final deed, the final deed paper of my unit. So my unit, I paid for a million dollars. I owe the bank two eight hundred grand. I paid two hundred grand, but remember about the appreciation. So by the time I move in and final closing, my unit may be worth one point six already, right? So I paid a million; it's now worth one point six. I can say, well, I can decide to rent the unit at the market rate of rental, or I can decide, you know what? I don't want to play this anymore. I want to take all my money and go buy black in casino, <laughs> whatever it is. So I can take my money out. So what, what happens, what tend to happen for people who do that is say, they're going to put it on the market for sale and some other person will buy it at 1.6 million. I pay back the bank 800,000, remember, because I owe the bank 800,000. I now have another 800,000 to use, right? So now I decide to put that 800,000 into four other units of 200,000 each, right? So mm-hmm. I can now take the money that I've made and split it into 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000 and put deposit on four different units. Now, that's, that's just an example. I don't, I don't recommend people doing that because you have to keep some money uh, for, for rainy days, but you can understand how waiting for that period of appreciation when you buy the unit at its lowest price is very beneficial. And thanks for clarifying, you're not paying mortgage fees until it closes. Correct. That's when the bank, because that's what I was a bit worried about. So what's happening with you in those years? So the bank yes. actually waits. That's yes, excellent. because because there's nothing to pay, right? You right. haven't, there, there's no unit, there's no physical space, there's no wall. So why why am I paying the developer $1 million when nothing exists, right? So I'm only paying at the final closing, not even at the interim closing, right? There may be another six months in between interim closing and final closing. So even in that six months, I, I still don't, the, the bank still doesn't come in and I still don't pay the, the developer the final 800,000 until that point. Uh, but remember, I've already made money potentially. Right. Now, again, these are, this is excellent. So I might ask some really simple questions, but um, yeah. between the, the the final closing and the initial closing that you yeah, hold. It's called interim closing. Interim closing, I apologize. Do people yeah, rent a, rent out the unit? To, they do. Like, they, they do, do. okay. Yeah. So you can rent it out to other people. You don't Absolutely. have to live in it, right? Absolutely. So, however, however, um, so you have to be careful uh, when you buy pre-cons, you have to be careful that in the agreement, that that the developer allows you to okay. rent it out while you're interim closing. Because sometimes in the agreement, it says you're not allowed. Right. Or if you're not allowed, you ask them to change it or you don't buy it, right? Um, 
there are so many opportunities out there of pre-construction. Why would I buy yours if you don't allow me to rent it out? I, I'd rather not buy yours. I'd rather buy someone else's. So have to be really careful that when you, the day that you buy it, you put in the contract that during the interim period, me, Vuketran, I can rent out the unit to Dimitri. Dimitri is not the owner. Vuket's the, the owner. But I, I'm I'm allowed to rent it out to Dimitri, and I I'll, I'll rent it out at fair market value rate at that time, even though it's not final closing. And that's nice. a very important, very important right. to look at the fine print and allow yourself that flexibility. That's 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 a good point. So that's a pearl, guys. Make sure that that's in the contract. My other question to you is: so if you're already renting it out when you sell it. Um, that might be attractive to somebody who already, because you've already rented it out, right? Because you already have somebody in the house. Absolutely. So you're saying, I have somebody for you. Um, it's an extra thing that you get by buying this condo from me. Um, so that's great. That's that's really important. See, that's the little things that you know you don't hear about when you read about pre-constructed on, on Google, because right. you have to go through it to know. So, well, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I wanted to come back a little bit. You know, we talk about all these real estate investment opportunities. Why, why did you and I choose pre-construction? Why did we even start here, right? And, and I wanted to say, because pre-construction is a fairly passive type of real estate investment. And because of its passive nature, it is extremely, extremely easy for for people like you and I very busy family doctors doctors specialists for physicians to jump into be to jump into the real estate game without you know dedicating hours and hours and hours of our life managing a unit so remember I'm buying this unit I'm gonna pay my deposit and I won't get the unit until potentially three, four, five, six years down the road. So there's really nothing for me to do, right? It's like, it's the same as me putting 200 grand and wait for appreciation. So I could put 200 grand in buying Shopify or I could put 200 grand in buying a unit. So it's the same thing. It's, it's fairly passive. It becomes a little bit more active when it's time to rent it out at final closing. And so pre-construction real estate is probably as easy as it gets in in jumping into the real estate investment world uh, with outside of a REIT. And so it fits our lifestyle fairly well. And I and that's why I like the pre-construction. The other reason I like the pre-construction is I put this deposit on a scheduled basis. I know when it's coming. Right, I've got two years, and when I sign the contract, they tell me in four months, in 12 months, in 24 months, you have to pay X amount. And I'm not paying the, the entire 20% all in one shot. I'm spreading it over three, four, five payments, and I know when pay, those payments will come due. And the really, really nice thing about pre-construction is if I understand my market well, and again, I have to understand my market, meaning if I'm in Toronto, I need to understand the Toronto real estate market. If I'm in Montreal, I need to understand the Montreal real estate market, or I'm in Alberta, I, I should understand the Calgary and Edmonton real estate market before I jump in. But if I understand those market and I see the opportunity, you're getting in at the ground 
of that real estate market when it comes to that particular unit. And you can see, literally see the appreciation in your unit. And it's a very stable type of investment. And at the end of the day, you, you get brick and mortar. You, you can actually lick the sand and lick the cement if you wanted to, right? Whereas if I buy Shopify, I can, I can, lick, I can lick a piece of paper, but it's not, it's not as satisfying as, as licking the wall in my unit. And so all those aspects fits really well into a busy physician's uh, work life. It's, it's not even paper anymore. It doesn't, you can't even get a stock certificate anymore. Yeah. It's, it's like in some zero, zeros and ones in your computer. But that's great. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what, that's why I want to talk to you because um, again, I, I, I was quite intimidated by pre-construction. Um, I didn't know how it worked. I've heard many bad things about it. So maybe we can cover those as well. Yes. We will um, talk about the downsides, but no, it's, it's great. And I, I think people should know it exists. So, but let's, Let's talk about the downsides. So yeah. there's always horror stories in any topic. I mean, Shopify is a horror story there, right? So you put all your money yes. in Shopify. <laughs> what ha- what's happened to it in the past couple of months? But tell me about some of the pitfalls and some of the horror stories, and some of the issues with pre-constructed. Okay, yeah. So let me start by talking about the downsides and then I'll talk about some of the risk, okay? So in terms of the downside, um, you know that if I'm a first-time buyer in certain in certain provinces, I could put as low as zero percent, or I can put as low as five percent, right? So if I'm buying my first home, that could be as low as possible, right? But when you buy a pre-con, it's twenty percent, and so it's not like, oh, can I just put five percent, and the developer will not accept that? So for most pre-cons, we're talking about a twenty percent deposit. So that's one downside. The other downside, people can look at this as, well, my money is locked in, right? So that 200 grand that I put in over two years, it's fair. I mean, I can structure it in, but once it's in, it's sitting there, right? It's sitting there and it and it's doing nothing for the next four years. So people can look at that and say, wait a minute, my money is locked in there and I can't use my money to invest in Shopify or in, I can't use my money to invest in RBC or Scotia or whatever it is. But the 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 twenty percent or the two hundred grand that you're sitting in there is actually working for you in terms of appreciation of the unit, but I can definitely see the argument in saying, well, listen, that two hundred grand is sitting there, sort of sitting duck doing nothing. So some people can see that as a downside. The other downside is the interim period, right? It really sucks that for six months I have to pay the developer rental income even though the, my unit is mine right <laughs> why am i paying you rental for I- income for two for six months when I, it's my unit and so that interim closing period you hope it's the shortest possible right you hope it's only three months or you hope it's only four months sometimes depending on the developer and if it's a bad developer it could take up to a year a good developer boom two three months it's done right and so what does this what what is the message the message is buy from developers who know what they're doing <laughs> buy from developers who have good reputation because those developers make things move and they know the system and they know the investment and they know the industry and they move and they don't they don't piss off their customers this way and so work with a with a reputable developer and the interim period tends to be shorter 
another downside or a risk in, in this, uh, oh, another downside is what we call development charges. So remember, we talked about, I'm going to buy the unit now at 2022, right, in year 2022, but it won't be built till 2028, right, six years later. So by the time they built, the cost of material may have gone up, right? Lumber may have gone up. Uh, iron, steel, cement, et cetera, as we are seeing now, the cost of inflation. Um, so you can see how wood can definitely go up and raise like crazy. The, 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 the price of lumber double, right? And so by the time they built, the developer now has more expenses, more charges. And trust me, the developer is not going to eat that up. They're going to pass it on to you, right? So so they're going to add what they call development charges. And so it's normal. It's to be expected. Every developer does that. But you want to make sure that, again, in your agreement, that your, that your lawyer protects you that way and say, we understand the development charges. We know it's going to happen because the price of material will go up by the time it's built. But we want to cap it at this, at this amount, right? So my unit is, let's say, 1,000 square feet. And uh, it's worth this much right now. And based on market value, even if material goes up, the, the amount that you could charge me is fixed at 10000 right? So between now and the time it's built, if you're going to charge me development charges, I am not going to pay more than 10000 Because sometimes they can come back and say, oh, well, Vu, it's costing a lot. We're going to charge you 30000 No, 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 no. We're going to agree on 10000 you either accept it or you don't accept it, right? And if you accept it, I'm going to sign on the dotted line, which means six years from now, I don't care how much inflation and how much the material costs, you can charge me only 10000 right? And so your lawyer, especially if it's a real estate lawyer, they know this by hand, right? They, they know this at the back of their mind. They know the calculation approximately based on square footage, how much you're supposed to be paying in development charges. And they'll tell you, Vu, you're buying this unit. It's a thousand square feet. Roughly, you know, if material cost goes up, you shouldn't be paying more than 10,000 or you shouldn't be paying more than 12,000. So they're going to they're gonna write back to the developer uh, and say, okay, Vu is going to buy this unit, but he's only going to buy this unit if you accept that the development charge is capped at 10000 And then the developer says, fair, that's fair. They're going to write back and give you an amendment to say amendment to the contract, to the agreement, that if we raise the price on Vu, we cannot raise it more than 10000 And if it costs me 30000 to build that unit, I can only raise 10,000, that's as much. And so the agreement is done even before I sign and buy the unit. Now remember in, in Ontario, and I, I think it's the same in Montreal, if you, if you can remind me and correct me, Dimitri, but there's a 10 day cooling period. So I go in today, today is October, let's say October 10th, right? I decide to buy a unit on October 10th. And they give me a 10-day cooling period, a, a, a remorse period, right? I'm, I can sit down with my, my, with my wife and my kids, and then we can reminisce and say, should I buy this? Should I not buy this? And then I've got 10 days to walk out without any penalties. So typically, what do I do is I, I take the agreement. I take the agreement, and I send it to my lawyer right away. And my lawyer will review the agreement 
and and they're they're familiar with this because they do this all day long, right? So they review the agreement and say, "Vu cap uh, charge should be capped at this." And by the way, they they might screw you on the parking. And by the way, they may screw you on this. And by the way, the design looks like this. Make sure they don't do that. So they'll give me all sorts of pointers, and they'll say, "Vu, we're gonna send this back to the developer," and we say. Vu will only buy if you accept these amended conditions. And then within those 10 days, that's where my lawyer goes to work. And then they'll go back and forth, back and forth with the developer's lawyer and my lawyer. They go back and forth, back and forth. And I get phone calls from the lawyer say, Vu, <laughs> the developer don't want to pay, don't want to charge you more than 10000 Are you okay with 12000 and then I think about it. I'm like, okay, I really want this unit. Fine, I'll pay. I'll pay twelve thousand. Or Vu, they'll give you a parking space. Uh, they don't know it yet, but more likely they'll give you a parking space near the door, or near the elevator. Do you want that? Right. So all these amendments go back and forth, back and forth, and it's not until you are a hundred percent happy that you close on the tenth day. And so at any point, if you're not happy, and you say, "I'm done." You walk away, nothing's changed, there's no penalty. So you've got a 10-day cooling period. And so use that 10-day cooling period to get what you want and work with your lawyer intensely during those 10 days to make sure you get the agreement that you want. And so that's the downside. So one, I started talking about this because of the development charge. And finally, the last downside is Every single agreement with the developer is always in the developer's uh, favor, right? You are the one consumer and they are the developer that, that is now trying to sell 400 units. Of course, you're not going to be you're not going to be favored. So all the clauses favor developer. And it's like that in the industry. It doesn't matter who you buy it from. But some developers are really, really, really putting all the agreement in their in their favor. And so that's why you need to work with the lawyer to make sure that it's not too lopsided, right? That you preserve some of your rights and your privileges. And so if you work with a developer who's really, really stingy or really hard to work with, you may just walk away. And so those are the potentials. And finally, if they tell me, listen, it's going to be built in six years. And then the pandemic happens, right? And then everything shuts down and they and they can't build and they can't get the licenses and people go on strike. And well, at the sixth year, at the fifth year, they say, Vu, I, I can't build because nobody's working, right? It's force majeure. I can't help. A pandemic is here. Well, they're going to delay it, right? So if, if I'm buying the unit to live in it, then that's a problem because I expect it to move in in 2028, so I need, I need a house, right? So it creates a problem. But if I'm an investor, I really don't care <laughs> when you get built, right? You can build in 2029 or 2030. I don't care. I just got two more years to increase the, the, the appreciation of my asset. And I don't have to borrow from the bank for another two years. Fair enough. My 200,000 is, is locked in for another two years. But as an investor, I'm not too worried about that. But as an end user, I am. And so... That's some of the downsides. And we can go about talk about the risk in a minute. Uh, and if you have any questions about that. That's interesting. So those, because what, what, what I read about them in terms of the horror stories is, first of all, the development costs. 
but again, you mentioned have a lawyer involved and put a cap on that because the horror stories come from people who didn't do that and have to pay an extra 50,000. And the second is if you have to live in, in that condo and you're selling your other house thinking you might go, you will move in at that time, there's no guarantee it's going to get built exactly at that time. So that's another horror story I've seen. But it affects investors a lot less than unfortunately. It doesn't affect yet. investors, actually. It doesn't and in fact, at all, right? No, and in fact, investors love that. Right. Um, right. When when I put my money down, I put my 200,000 down, 200, down and I'm buying that 1 million unit and they tell me it won't be built till 2029. It was supposed to build 2028, but it's not going to be built in 2029. I'm like, okay, fair enough. That's extra okay. year of appreciation, uh, right? Extra year of appreciation. Yeah, right. Uh, and it's not like I put more money. It's still the same 200 grand. And when I put my 200 grand in, I was expecting to put 200 grand in it for the long run anyways. Right. So it's not like I wanted to take it out and all of a sudden buy Shopify, right? Like it, that wasn't in my plan to begin with. And so for me, an extra year is not a big issue. But if I was an end user, because I have to move in because I sold my house in 2028, well, now where am I going to live for another year, right? right? So that creates a problem. But if it's a real estate investor, it's tend to be not an issue. We talked about the risks to the end users. So what are some of the risks to investors then in terms of, of this type of vehicle? Right. Okay. So uh, there's always risk in anything. So let's say we, we talked about that cent, that 7% uh, appreciation year after year, right? What if it doesn't appreciate 7%, right? What if it only appreciates 4% or worse? What if there's a housing bubble? And I bought it at 1 million, but by the time I sell it uh, in 2028, when it's going to be built, it's still a million because it hasn't appreciated. But remember, my 200 grand sat there for six years and it sat there for making nothing. So the opportunity cost is, is it could be significant, right? Uh, and so I'll come back to that and say, how do we mitigate that? But that's a risk. A risk is it doesn't appreciate or worse, you're in a housing bubble and it depreciates, right? That's, that's one risk. Another risk is you're over leveraged, right? So um, I put, I put, uh, I, I bought this unit for a million. I put my 200 grand, it's built in 2028. And now all of a sudden the rental market softened, right? I thought I was going to get $4,000 rent per month. I thought I was going to get that. But the housing market just softened. And instead of getting $4,000, I'm only getting $2,500. Well, I'm now down $1,500 from what I thought I was going to get. But now I've got the mortgage to pay. I've got the, the, the maintenance fee to pay. I've got the insurance. I got the property tax. And now all of a sudden, I'm down $1,500, right? So that that... Because remember, I, I borrowed 800 grand, right? I borrowed 800 grand. I, I mortgaged that. So I have a, a monthly mortgage to pay, which is a commitment. So I'm now over leveraged. And, and I may not be over leveraged, but things change in my life. Um, we're moving. Um, someone passed away in my family, and now I have another financial burden to take on. Or I'm getting a divorce. I just lost half of my assets, right? You can understand a whole bunch of things can happen in life 
that has nothing to do with the condo, but it has to do with my life. And all of a sudden, I'm now financially burdened by other things, right? That's another that's another risk. The, the other risk, as, as I mentioned, is the rental market softened. I thought I was going to get 4000 per month, but I'm only getting 3000 I'm only getting 3200 So now I'm, I'm down $800 a month. Where am I going to find that money? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? I can tell you that for physicians, typically it's not a big deal to be down even $1,000 a month. So we're talking about 12000 a year, like not a big deal. Um, the other risks are the risks that are not necessarily associated with the condo itself, but it's risk associated with life. For example, illness, disability, loss of a family member, uh, loss of the job, uh, divorce, etc. So all those aspects of the other aspects of your life now put additional financial risk, put additional financial burden, but you are now committed to buying this house in 2028. And so that's that's the risk. There are some mitigating tools for that, but don't forget that. And and if if you're gonna do that, make sure you're not over leveraged. Now you look, you see like, wow, I've got I've got 600 grand. I could put 200 grand on three units, right? And then and then life happens and all of a sudden you're you're totally leveraged. And instead of instead of just buying one unit with 200 grand and leave 400 grand for buffer, your entire 600 grand is used up and you have no buffer, right? And so those are the type of things that you have to think about. What happens if my life situation changes, et cetera? Most of the time, I would say physicians can go through a tornado. Most physicians can go through a hurricane if they're well prepared. So if I have 600 grand, but I only use 200 grand, I have 400 grand or 300 grand as a buffer. And I put the other 100 grand in Shopify, whatever it is. And I've got a, a backup of 300 grand. It doesn't matter if the, if the market crashes on you, it'll be temporary. And you've got that 300 grand to use on rainy days. But if you're, if you put the entire 600 grand and you've got nothing, when, when the hurricane comes and you'll be totally exposed, right? And so you have to be really careful and not become too greedy. And trust me, I've become too greedy sometimes, right? I'm like, oh, wow, that unit is great. Oh, that location is great. Oh, this is really nice. And, and I'm very tempted to go and purchase them and deploy my money. And then my wife slaps me and say, Vu, wake up. Where's the buffer going to come from? I'm like, Okay, you're right. <laughs> I probably should not do that. So this is why married men live longer than non-married men, because there's a wife to actually control you. And so my wife does that role for me. And she holds me back a little bit to make sense of things. Otherwise, I would I would just go full throttle and over leverage and, ex and overexpose myself. So just be careful that you have someone to bounce ideas off someone who's a little bit more conservative than you are so that, you know, you, you have enough money for the rainy and hurricane days. Yeah. Always, always have a buffer and always have a partner who's, <laughs> who's not afraid to argue with you when, uh, when you're, when you're blinded by greed, because happens to all of us. I have two follow-up questions before sort of the, the tips and tricks that uh, about this, but number one, how easy is it, if at all, to sell that contract? Let's say you want to, like, you don't want to go ahead with it. Let's say something happens, you have to move to another country. Can you sell 
before it closes, before the six months, before the mortgage comes in, can you sell that that contract you have with the pre-construction developer? Is that possible? Is that easy? Have you ever done that? Um, just is there a way out once you're once you put in your deposit? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's a way out, and that way out is called assignment. Okay. okay? So I I put in this two hundred grand example. I put in this two hundred grand, and it doesn't close till twenty twenty eight. Remember, but in twenty twenty seven, some family catastrophe happens. And I can't meet my commitment till 2028. I, I need to sell, right? And so you can now do a assignment sale. And again, you have to remember in the agreement that you can do an assignment sale without penalty, okay? Some, some developers are really tricky. They will penalize you for assignment sale. Okay. So you want to make sure that you can do an assignment sale without penalty, some developers will charge you no admin fee and some developers will charge you $5,000 admin fee because remember, they have to redo the contract. They have to um, engage lawyers, et cetera. And so there's, there's admin costs to them. And trust me, developers will not absorb those admin costs because it's not their problem. It's your problem. You want it to get out. So if you want to get out, you better pay for the admin fee. So, so they're going to charge you for it. So uh, so the admin fee charges for an assignment is not unusual. Penalty, you can try to get away from that by, again, your lawyer doing the amendments. So during that time, it's called an assignment sale. And during an assignment sale, my, I, I try to get my $200,000 back. In addition, remember, we have six years of appreciation. I'm going to try to milk some of that appreciation back to it. Right? right, it's not fully built yet, but you know what? It increased in value. Well, I want to get that value. I want to extract that value. So it's no longer two hundred thousand. I'm going to get back. I'm going to try to sell it to Dimitri. Dimitri, you want my unit? Well, it was when I bought it, it was a million. Six years later, it's a one point six million. But fair enough, I didn't pay one point six million, but I put two hundred grand. Well, two hundred grand at seven percent for X amount of year has some value. So. I'm going to get my money back, my 200 grand back. I'm going to try to get my assets, the appreciation of that asset back. And fair enough, I have to pay the lawyers to get out of this and I have to pay some admin fee to get out of this. But hopefully you walk away not having lost money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is a way to get out and that is called assignment sell. Is it easy? Yes. Is it very easy? No. Is it complicated? <laughs> No, it's not complicated. It's in every single uh, pre-con contract that you can do an assignment sale, but just make sure that the details about the assignment sale is what you want. For example, if they want to charge you $10,000 admin fee, well, why? Why is it 10,000? Why is it not just 3,000, right? Or they want to charge you a penalty. Well, no, you're already charging me an admin fee. Why are you charging me a penalty? So you just need to work with your lawyer to get that down to a reasonable understanding. But in every single pre-con contract, there is a possibility for assignment. That, that, that's good to know. And um, so again, these are some of the, the important things you should know, which is we talked about the assignment. We've talked about the developer fees, making sure that your lawyer puts some kind of clause about developer fees. And we also talked about having the opportunity to rent it out to other people. 
these are very important things to think about. And again, only people that have gone through the process know about this. That's why it's so great to talk to you. What are some other things you've learned the hard way? Because that's how we learn. We learned the hard way. We've made mistakes. So if you don't mind, what are some of the other things, mistakes that you made and that you think is important for our listeners to know? Then I have one last question about taxes. Okay. So um, another hard thing that I've learned is, okay, this is a true life example. Um, so five years ago, uh, my, my mom wanted, maybe more than five, maybe six years ago, my mom wanted to live in downtown Toronto in Chinatown. So, um, and uh, she's fairly independent. She didn't want to live with us. She wanted to live on her own. So she wanted to live in downtown Chinatown. So, she, so I bought a, a condo unit for her, right? So I bought a condo unit. And at the time, the condo unit was about, you know, 400 to maybe 500 square feet. And, and you look at it on paper and it looks nice on paper. <laughs> and then you don't realize until it's built that it's a small little shoebox. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then my mom walks into it and says wait a minute i'm not living in this shoebox so so that's where the problem is is have an understanding of of one the design what's the flaw of the design uh, when you're looking at the design where does the where does the window sit <laughs> and where and is it facing west is it facing east uh, and how much sunlight are you getting? You don't want to live in a condo unit where it's always drabby and doom and gloom, right? You want some sunlight. And so you need to understand where's the sunlight coming from. And you need to understand how about the windows, where are the doors, where are the corridors, and, and how big it is. So one of the one of the biggest mistakes I've made is I bought the unit thinking it's big enough, thinking it's nice enough. And then when it's finally built, you look at it and it's like, well, wait a minute, it's too small. And where's the sunlight in this thing? And so I ended up keeping it and still rented it out to some, to some students. But it's it's the it's the least um it's the it's the least favorite of all my units that I own. Mm -hmm. um and i can't wait to sell it <laughs> i truly can't wait to sell it um but so those are the things and and when you look on a piece of paper it's really hard to imagine right and and so i think you, if you bought enough and you have enough experience then you realize oh yeah the design is horrible the sunlight doesn't come in why is there this long corridor and also depending if you're Asian or not, you look at feng shui, right? Some people right. look at the feng yeah. shui and say, oh my yeah. God, that's a really bad feng shui, yeah. right? And you can't rent it out or you can't sell it, right? <laughs> um, another thing is also look at where it's situated in the building, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I've, I've had, I've had uh, units where I was entertaining and buying the unit. And then my wife pointed out, wait a minute, it's so close to the elevator. It must be noisy, Right. When right. you have people waiting around the elevator right. and waiting and they're chatting, you know, at midnight, <laughs> you know, and you're trying to go to sleep or you have young, you rent it out to young children with babies. And there's so much noise outside the unit because it's right in front of the elevator, right? Or it's right in front of the garbage chute. <laughs> so you're constantly hearing this door open, door open, close, open, close of garbage bags going down the chute, right? And the moment you open the door, it smells like garbage. And so, all those things you have to just kind of visualize it <laughs> and and i've made some of those mistakes for sure um what other mistakes i've made oh i i so you you buy into a unit in and you and it's a nice developer it's a really good developer 
and then you buy the unit. And then when it's built, you realize, uh, wait a minute, this is not such a great neighborhood. <laughs> or the people renting my unit are not the renters that I thought I would get, right? And that's another mistake. Because at the end of the day, when you're buying investment real estate, you're investing. You're not living in it. You don't want trouble. You don't want to be constantly managing the unit because it's supposed to be fairly passive type of investment. But what if your unit gives, what if the the tenant gives you trouble all the time because they're always late on their payment or they don't pay or they damage your wall or they whatever, right? So you're constantly having to deal with the tenant. Well, that's not a good real estate investment. Right, I want something that I could buy and see it grow, like I would with Shopify. Right, <laughs> buy it and I see it grow. Well, if I constantly have to go in and manage the unit, it's not really what I thought it would be. And but how do you make sure you get good tenants? You buy a unit or a condo unit in a place where the vast majority of people you're going to rent from are of a certain type of tenant. So, for example, what am I talking about? Um, if you're if you want to buy a unit in a place next to the university, for example, so these are students. They're studying. Hopefully, they're not partying too much and damaging the walls. Or you buy in a neighborhood where it's uh, new young families, uh, professionals, young professionals, right? And so the people who tend to rent in that neighborhood are young professionals, new families uh, with young children. And so you can you can feel more reassured that, you know, this is a, a young family, both a professional mom and dad, that there's going to be a certain amount of income, right? And that they won't fall behind in their payments. And so you choose your location, not just because of the location. You choose of the location because of what type of tenant you're going to attract. Exactly. I mean, when you're doing stock analysis, you dig deep and try to figure out what's happening behind the scenes. Similarly with, with real estate, if you need to know what kind of tenants you'll get and you need to know the area a bit, a bit better than, uh, than just saying, I just want this condo and you have to know what's happening. This is great. This is very informative. So I have two final questions. Uh, one of them is taxes. So when you sell the con I'm trying to understand when you sell that your condo after it's appreciated, how do taxes work? Are you, are you paying a capital gains? How does it yes. work exactly? Okay. Yes. So, so remember I mentioned, um, I bought the unit at a, at a million. Right. And by the time I saw, I'm going to sell it, it's going to be worth 1.6. So my profit is 600. Half of that is taxable. So 300. And out of 300, my tax bracket is 50%. So it's 150. So I'm actually paying capital gains of 150,000 on okay. that unit okay. should I decide to sell, right? Um, so there's going to be capital gains tax on that. Okay. However, if you ask your accountant, right. I'm, sure, I'm sure there are ways to minimize that, right? Um, there are ways for you to uh, get away from paying less capital gains or not pay capital gains at all. Um, if you decide to take the unit back and, and use your unit as the mm -hmm. end user and, mm -hmm. be, and make that your primary residence, then when you sell it as a primary resident, you don't pay capital gains. But you need to do it in a, in a way that is legal, 
of course, in a, in a way that is compliant with CRA. And so that's why when you decide that you want to do that, then you need to talk to accountants and lawyers to make sure that you are compliant with CRA and not just do it because some guy on a podcast told you to. Um, and, and, right. but, but if you're a real estate investor and you want to sell because you're not going to move it, then yeah, there's capital gains to be paid. I know some doctors that invest in real estate uh, use a holding corporation to do so. Um, can you use a hold code to invest in reconstructed buildings or is it something that's frowned upon when you're talking to developers? Oh, so the answer is sort of in between. Right. So when it's time, when it's time to buy the, the unit, so you're signing on the dotted line, the agreement is will be with Vuketran. The agreement will not be with 123 Ontario Inc. Right. right. Okay. However, when you speak with the developer, you say, this is an investment real estate. I want to buy with my hold call, 123 Ontario Inc. or 123 Canada Inc., whatever it is. The developer will say to you, just to make sure that the paperwork goes through with the lawyers and with the accounting department, for now, we're going to put Vuketran. When all the paperwork is done, you can now add your company as the purchaser. Okay. Okay. And okay. so you can now add your company. So it's Vuketran and 123 Ontario Inc. And that is that paperwork, it's typically done later. Some developers allow you to do that right off the bat. So I have done that with some developers where I say, I'm not buying it under Vuketran. I'm buying it under 123 Ontario Inc. And the developer will say, not a problem. We'll put 123 Ontario Inc. All the deposit checks will come from 123 Ontario Inc. The lawyer will draft everything in according to 123 Ontario Inc. And I have done that. And it was not a problem. There are some developers who they are so popular. Every single person in Canada want that unit because they're, they're such strong developers. For example, Tridel in, in Toronto is one of them. Every single one of their projects are like gangbusters. And they, they are very strict. They'll say, I'll sell it to you, Vu, but I'm not going to sell it to one to the Ontario Inc. because I've got way too many paperwork to do. There's way too many people outside my door and I need to process them first. And so you want to buy this? You're going to buy it as one, two, three. Are you going to buy it as Vuketran? Mm-hmm. But, but I sign an amendment with them. Okay. So my lawyer signs an amendment with them that preserves my right to add my corporation down the road. Right. And so typically the, so Tridel will say before closing, six months before closing, you need to get the paperwork in. Well, remember in our example of six years, I've got five and a half years to get it done. Right. So much time. (laughs) So much time. And you will forget. You will forget. So what what typically I do is I put in my name, I sign on the dotted line, I give them my deposit checks. And then four weeks later, when they launch, and by the way, we're gonna talk about that, it's very important. When they launch, because wait a minute, if they haven't even launched, how did Vuket try and even buy it? So when they launch after that, three weeks after that. When the, when the paperwork volume goes down, then I submit my paper and say, it's now Vuketran and 123 Ontario Inc., right? right? But I need to preserve that right so that they can't refute me later, right? They can't, oh, we never said that. 
No, 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 no. I have it on paper. It's black and white. You signed it, right? So your lawyer will have to amend to say when the when the time comes, six months before the closing, Vuketran has the right to register his company. So it's not an assignment. It's a change of registration. Okay. And so some developers allow you to do that right off the get-go. And some developers will say, we have too much paperwork. I don't want to deal with this now. So I'll get it done later. But make sure you preserve the right to do it. Okay, that's excellent. Um, I, I know that that answers the question a lot of the listeners that have cold codes. Um, so my last question is, let's say that you're interested in Reconstructed. How do you find deals or how do you find projects? Like, Do you go through your real estate agent or do you just look at the, the newspaper? How do you, like, what do you do? How does it work? Amazing question. Amazing question. Thank you, Dimitri. So this question I'm going to answer, and it's part of one of my few tips I'm going to give you guys later. So if you allow me later, we'll, we'll finish those tips. But one of the tip, which is the answer to your question, is work with a real estate agent who knows the pre-con market. Some real estate agents are very familiar with, you know, industrial parks. Some real estate agents are very, very good and experts at commercial buildings. And some are very good at, you know, residential homes only. And then you've got a whole bunch of people, especially in Toronto, because it's such a hot pre-con market, that you've got a lot of agents that are specialized. Like they are the orthopedic surgeons, right, of the knee, right? Or I'm not, I'm not talking about orthopedic surgeons. I'm talking about orthopedic surgeons of the knee, right? And in fact, it's the right knee only, right? So they are so specialized that they know the pre-con market in and out. They've got all the connections with the major developers. They've got they've got first access. You know, you know when you when you have an American Express card, you get first access to everything. Well, this is having an American Express real estate agent in your pocket, right? And so this real estate agent, you tell them, um, I'm interested in Toronto, London, Hamilton, Montreal, Laval, and Edmonton, right? That's what I'm interested in. So they do their search, they, 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 they dig into their network and then they say, Vu, there's five real estate development in Montreal, there's two in Toronto, there's like 10,000 in Edmonton, they all fit your criteria. Let's now, let's look at it. And by the way, they're happy to do it because you're going to buy through them, right? They're going to make commission. So they are happy to do that work. So the first thing that I would say, one of the tips that I say is work, if you are interested in the pre-con uh, industry and real estate market work with individuals who are specifically experts in the pre-con real estate market. How do I even find that? All you have to do is just like, depending on where your market is, right? If you're in Calgary, you just Google, you know, Calgary condo agents, <laughs> right? There's going to be like a list of 10 that pops up. We are the experts in condominiums, you know, in Calgary, downtown Calgary, suburb Calgary, whatever it is. And then you 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 sign up. They still they'll say register, right? Register your here. So you register, you put in your name, 
And then I kid you not, the moment you fill out that form and you hit send, someone else sends you an email say, oh, Vicky Tran, welcome to CondoFi Calgary. I'm Agent <laughs> uh, Bob. Uh, how can I help you? Right. And so these agents are after business, of course. Right. And right. so I would say sign yourself up to one or two, depending on which market you want. Sign yourself to one or two. And within five minutes, I kid you not, you're going to get an email and say, welcome, I'm Bob. How can I help you? And then from there, you you now work with them and you understand very quickly how good they are. So I, I used to work with an agent who's very good at home, residential home. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I asked him to find me condos. He had such a hard time. And not only that, when, when there was a, a condo development that I wanted, he did not have VIP access. I work with another real estate agent, young female. She's like 26 years old. My God, she's like a pepper. I say, I, I want, I'm looking at downtown Toronto. These are my criteria. And within the hour, she sends me a list of 10, right? And I'm like, um, okay, I, I really like this condo on, you know, University and Dundas, right? That On that street. That's what I want. Oh, yeah, I know that developer. Let me get you in, right? And boom, she connects me with the developer and boom, 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 boom. We And then 48 hours later, I'm signing on a, on a dotted line. And so... It's really important if you if that's what you want to do is to get in first dibs. And I wanted to share that with you guys. You know, when I talked about the launch, so, you know, a developer will say, I'm going to launch December 1st. Like I've got this brand new building that I bought. It's on the corner of Young and Dundas, for example, right? Or Senaha and and uh, Dorchester. That's actually it's not Dorchester anymore. It's René Lévesque and Selaha, right? So I've got this piece of land. It's got and it's owned by Developer A. And so Developer A says, "I'm going to launch this December first. But here's what they do: before launching December first, they allocate units to their favorite uh, real estate agencies. So Developer A has. 10, let's say, example, they have 10 of their favorite real estate agents and agencies. They'll allocate 10 to this guy, 12 to this guy, 5 to this guy, and 15 to this girl, and they've allocated 60% of the units. So this condo unit has, let's say, 100 units to be sold. They're going to allocate 60. Boom, already, even before December 1st. And And they tell these real estate agents, go and sell. So imagine one of my real estate agent happened to be one of the guys or girl that he had an allocation. So they'll call me up and say, Hey, Vu, this, this developer guy, you know, he's developing this condo unit on Saint Laurent and, uh, and René Lévesque. This is the, this is the floor plan. This is the material, by the way, there's a subway station, by the way, there's this, by this, and there's that, and it's going to be a great development. And the pricing is really good. Do you want in or not? I look at the floor plan. I look at the building. I look at the developer. I look at the location. It's right smack in downtown Montreal. Perfect. I want to get it. So I sign what we call a worksheet. So I sign my name, my driver's license, my date of birth, and I want unit 2F, right? So 2F is 
this particular design. It's facing west. It has this type of window. When I open the door, there's good feng shui. You know, I look at all that and say, I want unit 2F. So I put in the worksheet for 2F. So what she does is she takes it to the developer and say, hey, Mr. Developer, you allocated 10 units to me, but my client wants 2F. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's within your allocation. Oh, no, no, it's not within your allocation. It's within the other guy's allocation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to trade yours for his, and your client will get a 2F. Fine. So I get my 2F. I go down there 48 hours or later. I put in my deposit. I sign on the dotted line, and I got my unit. And all this before they launched. And they launched December 1st, wow. which is four weeks later. So I did it in November. They launched December 1st. By the time they launched December 1st, 60% of the units are sold. <laughs> right. Wow, okay. So the developer, right, right. the developer is confident that this is going to move really well, right? So by the time they launch, there's only 40% left. Now, by the time it gets out into the street that they're launched, the value has gone up already because 60% have already bought it. It's a, it's, a, it's a hot market. It's a hot unit. A lot of people want it. And by the way, there's only 40 units left, not 100, right? So you can imagine the demand is there, but the supply is no longer there. So I bought it four weeks earlier. It has gone up 20,000 already. So this is what happened to one of the units that I bought in that, uh, sort of midtown Toronto, Eglinton and Bathurst, where they were going to put a subway station. So my, my real estate agent called me and hey, do you want this? It's right. They're going to build a subway station right underneath your condo. I'm like, do I have access directly to the? Yeah, of course. It's, it's going to be direct access. You don't even need to put your, your coat on. <laughs> you should literally go from your unit, take the subway, go to work, and get out in one of these buildings wow. in downtown Toronto. Wow. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, I want it. I want it. Four weeks later, they launched. Right. So you want to get in, you want to get in pre-launch. So these are pre-construction, pre-launch. You get in at the lowest, lowest, lowest price in that journey of that unit. So don't get it at launch because if you get it at launch, it's already, it's already increased in value. You want it at pre-launch. So how do you get it at pre-launch? You work with an agent who has the VIP access. You want to work with agents that have these network and connections. You want to you want to work with a, a, a brokerage firm that knows all the big guys, the Tridells of the world, the the golf of the world, the the green parks of the world. You know these humongous developers, and you want to you want to have you want to work with that agent who knows all of these guys. In fact, they call them and they they have it on speed dial, right? And so you want something they get you in at the floor, at the floor, at the basement, so that you get in before it's even launched. So that's the tip. The tip is when you're ready to work and, and invest in the pre-con, your first one or two, you'll make some mistakes here and there. But if you're listening to, the, to this podcast, you know some of the tips. Uh, but more importantly, find the, the right real estate agent who's really, really specified and expert in this area. And they will guide you through them. And some people are better than others. I've dealt with a few real estate agents. And so far, there's one or two that I really, really like. 
they really, really call me early and they know what I want. And they, and sometimes they pitch me a unit. I'm like, nah, I don't like the location. Oh, I don't like the design. I don't want it. And it's fine because they know that at some point in my life, I'll purchase another one from them. Right. And so they, they'll work with you. So work with someone that you like, work with someone that, that has that expertise and that has those qualifications and that networking VIP access. That that's just that's excellent. Um, really appreciate that. Do you have time for one more tip? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you two tips that are okay. in the same realm. Go ahead. And it comes back to the old adage of buying real estate: location, location, location. Okay. Just because my real estate agent brings me a really, really good condo, fabulous design uh, from the right developer. Well, it's not in the right area that I want, right? Uh, or it's in downtown Toronto, but it's not in the pocket that I want. It's it's not in front of a subway station. Um, I really, really like condo units that are a five-minute walk from a subway station. If they're sitting on top of a subway station, I go crazy. Right? I'm like, I want that one, right? But as long as they're in five-minute walk of a subway station, it's perfect, right? You know the demand is there, especially in downtown Toronto or especially in, in Montreal, right? Right next to the subway. Uh, and in Calgary, it may mean something else. In Edmonton, it may mean something else. So you need to understand your market. So location, location, location. But location is also in relation to the tenant you want to attract, Remember, we talked about that. So I want to be in a location where the vast majority of the tenant will fit this type of profile. So what are the type of profile that I'm looking for? I'm looking for young professionals. I'm looking for people who will not default on their payment. I'm looking for people who won't damage my walls. <laughs> I'm looking for people who won't go party every night, you know, uh, and disrupt my neighbors because I know that if my tenant disrupt neighbors, I'm going to get a phone call from property management, right? <laughs> so, um, so you want to buy in a location based on one location, but two based on the type of tenant you are looking for. So that's why location location has two specific focus. That's that's very really good, and I'm sure that the real estate agent can help you with that as well because Absolutely. They have a lot of knowledge. But Absolutely. Listen. Who, um, if, if sorry, Dimitri, if you don't mind, I'll give you maybe one more tip. Sure, of course, go ahead. Uh, and it's a quick one. It's a quick one. Um, the same way you work with an expert real estate agent, right. you need to work with an expert lawyer. Right. That, that's yeah. what they do. That's yeah. all. That the vast majority of the things they do. If you work with a with a marriage lawyer or a divorce lawyer, and you ask them to do real estate <laughs> contract, no. It's like it's like asking it's like asking a cardiologist to operate on your knee, right? No, right, no. Right. Go look for the lawyer that specializes in real estate and specifically precon. Precon, because they exist. They're the orthopedic they surgeons of the right knee. Orthopedic surgeons of the right knee, not even the left knee. The right, the right knee. knee. Um, I yes, I can attest to that. Find the right lawyer. They specialize just like medical doctors. They're very specialized and their language is very different depending on what they're dealing with. Right. And don't, don't skip out on that because uh, as you see, all those extra clauses can cost a lot of money. Ooh. Yeah. And they do this, they do this day in, day out. Day in, day out. Um, yeah. And they've, they've 
looked at all the contracts of the, all the major developers so they know what quirks in, exist in there and they know how to pick them out and right. get you the and get you right. the amendment that you need right because they've worked with different developers so they know how to work with them yeah that, that that's yes. a really good point yeah and and they know that oh developer a they always do this they always do this right. so now they're going to make an amendment to correct that right so yes. you work with you work with those lawyers that that are very very familiar in this industry but also who've worked with major developers all day long because they know they know the different quirks of of all those different contracts Thank you again for this deep dive into pre-construction. I think, I think myself and the listeners are on a good standing here. They do want to go and invest in them. We have the information required in some of the pitfalls. I mean, again, we'll make mistakes. That's the way we learn. But this is a very good base. And I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. That, that was great. Really, really interesting and very informative. Thank you for your time again. No, thank you for, for giving me the time to share this. And, you know, to the listeners out there, if you're thinking investing in real estate, this is probably as passive as it gets when it, when it gets to owning some brick and mortar. The more passive one would be a REIT and you're not owning any brick and mortar. So this is probably the most passive but, but also, this is the most in line with our work schedule, uh, and, it, and it fits our, our lifestyle very well. And the first thing to do is get your toes wet. You don't have to get your whole foot wet. Just get the toes wet. Uh, and then the more you do it, the more you realize, hey, this is something I can do. Uh, it, it doesn't take, you know, um, a PhD in neuroscience, right? Um, like a family doctor like myself can do it. And so I'm, and I'm definitely not the brightest guy on this earth. So uh, definitely tip your toes. It's worth doing. Yes. And again, the time commitment is, is not, is not huge. And I love the fact that you have time to actually get put in the deposit too. You have two years usually, which gives you time to, to, to make enough money or to, to save enough. So that's great as well. So Thank you so much, Vu. And I hope to have you again for a deep dive about a different investment option, because you know, you, You've doubled in a lot, um, but thank you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening this far. And I hope you enjoyed this episode on pre-construction real estate investing. Uh, I look forward to other podcasts about real estate investing and rest assured we will have some more. So thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, your colleagues, your dogs and your cats. And I'm looking forward to see you guys next time. If you do have any feedback or comment, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.